0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Mad Hat Economics. I'm Jackie Stein. And as always, I'm here with Professor David Just. Hello. And today we have special guest star David Pizarro, all the way from the psychology department. David is an associate professor of psychology here at Cornell University. He's also the chief science officer at BE Works and the host of the podcast Very Bad Wizards. Welcome, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, it was a long walk. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) like, about six minutes. I was like, where? Where
0: is this? <laughs> Just beyond the beautiful garden. No, <laughs>
2: Yeah, nicely hidden. Mm-hmm. Behind <laughs> all the construction. My Google Maps was out, you know, like.
0: So today we're going to be talking about some behavioral economics in action because David has a lot of practice with working for BE Works, working with companies and consulting. So we're really interested as listeners to see where this is, you know, where behavioral economics is going in industry. So as a social psychologist, David, um, how did you get interested in behavioral economics and working for BE Works?
1: The behavioral Economic side, and I should say from the get, from the start, I'm not an economist at all. It's just a. But as your listeners probably know, behavioral economics is a nice mix of of experimental psychology, a lot of social psychology, and and really sort of uh, fighting against traditional economics. So, but I would never call myself a behavioral economist. But I did have I made friends with people um, who were trained as as social psychologists or who were in trained in marketing and who really favored the experimental approach and the way that I got involved it was a, it's actually kind of nice I, because I started studying moral judgment in graduate school. And at the time, in social psychology, it wasn't a very popular thing to study. But luckily, over the years, it became more popular. And it's ethics and morality are one of those topics that um, lends itself nicely to just a pretty wide array of, of audiences that included people at business schools and even philosophy departments, um, economics, psychology, obviously. And because of that, I had... I sort of befriended people who were more traditionally doing behavioral economics. One of those people was Dan Ariely, and he became a very, very good friend. And when he was starting BE Works with his partners, Kelly Peters and Nina Mazar, they invited me during my sabbatic here to go work with them. And really, you know, the way I see it is there's not much of a division between if you know how to do experiments with behavior, Um, you're pretty much then it's like, well, what what is the domain in which you want to study? And that might make you more of a behavioral economist or more a judgment decision making person or more a social psychologist. But hopefully it's just all the application of the scientific method. And that's really where I see myself, because in my in my own life, my own your private career. I don't do stuff that's very applied at all. So, um, so to me, I, I viewed it as, a, as an interesting challenge to take what I knew about how to do science and try to apply it um, to industry to solve these problems.
2: I think that's that's actually a pretty interesting point. Is mm-hmm. a lot of the the base behavioral uh, econ that's out there is, is this sort of intellectual curiosity driving things and, right. and, and that leap into the real world that takes a bit of work right
0: it's, especially <laughs> yeah. like explaining to more laymen or business professionals what behavioral economics is and how does that look like when you're you know working with people um and how kind of open are they
1: yeah it's weird because and maybe you've had this experience when i first started working with uh, the be works group out of toronto I, I thought, well, why, why would anybody want to listen to what I have to say? Like so much of what I thought I know is, it's obvious. Like, yeah, you run experiments and you can figure out what works better for you. But what I realized pretty early on is that no, you know, you you. you you end up soaking in a lot of knowledge, even studying this stuff for a couple of years. And I was pretty surprised at what people didn't know. So the, even the basics of what it means to run an experiment was quite foreign to a lot of the um, people we were meeting with as we were sort of growing the consulting group. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we do now really is pedagogy. It's it's explaining to people how the scientific method can, can help. And as basic as... You know, you you meet with people sometimes, and and you you propose an idea. You say, well, maybe people don't want to get emails that are like eight pages long, with you know, two of it being legal <laughs> footer, you know. And they say, well, no, we really want to explain to our uh, to our potential okay. customers how you know how our program works. And you're like, well, okay. Have you ever tried a really short bullet point email? Oh yeah, yeah, we did that, and it didn't work well. And so we'd say, well, how do you know it didn't work? Well yeah, I mean the marketing team said it, it was it wasn't uh, very effective. Well, how do you know it wasn't effective? And then you'd get no answer because the truth is until you test it and compare it, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what the answer is, you know, you um, so so it's it's a lot of that first year that I was working most of my time at, at BE Works was struggling to understand how to explain the importance of of really just you know, running uh, something like a controlled experiment because or else you don't know. I, I'm still puzzled. How, how can businesses survive when they don't really know what worked well and what didn't? It's
2: surprising the number of firms and, and in particular, the number of large firms yeah, that right. don't do
1: that type of testing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you think, you know, we worked with early on with one uh, client that had a huge sort of customer base and it was in an industry that seemed just tailor-made for <laughs> behavioral economics interventions. And what you realized was not only did were they not doing it, but they didn't really have the infrastructure, or they didn't know if they did. They they were like confused when we said, "Can you randomly assign email conditions to mm-hmm. to some group of your uh, clients?" They were just overwhelmed by this, and they would bring the IT and the legal and the and the marketing. And we we're like, "Wow, it can't be it can't be that hard." <laughs> yeah. Like, just give me an email list of like rand. Just like, can I randomly pick a thousand of your customers and send them an email from like a spoof? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so it's a lot. Sometimes the big bigger the company, I think often the bigger the, the, company the harder it is to get them to, to budge.
0: Do you feel like working with them they kind of are more inclined to use these ideas or do they take these ideas and these techniques and kind of use them on their own eventually kind of sending them off or do they keep coming back if they're not really sure? Is that, how does, Well we want them working. to keep coming back. <laughs> well, right exactly. <laughs> but a, do yeah. you just give them enough tools to get them on that project? <laughs> <Yeah. and then? laughs>
1: but, but it's <laughs> actually a really good question because that's the tension you have and one of the things that that to be honest we have sort of varying opinions w- within our own group about how much we should encourage them to go and do it on their own and and i think that one of the struggles we've had is you know you go in and you teach um, you, you do say you do a day even a seminar mm-hmm. and you give them sort of a, a rough understanding of what the scientific method is what heuristics are how you can test these and how you can use them and on the one hand you want them to get excited and realize that this is a tool that anybody can use mm-hmm. but on the other hand it's quite hard to do it well. There are a lot of things that can't be communicated very easily. And so, you know, they might read Nudge or Predictably Irrational and come out thinking they can go run studies. Or even worse, they come out just thinking that they can implement a strategy and that it will work without, but they never bother to test it. And so I've been reluctant to say, go go off and do experiments on your own mm-hmm. because we, we have very little control over what gets done. So they might really, I mean, it's not that different from having graduate students in some cases, right? where, oh. where, where you like, it's very, I should say, using myself as an example. I remember thinking I had designed a wonderful, wonderful experiment with like a two by two by two. You know, I had like six conditions. I ran the study, I started analyzing my day, and I realized that I had perfectly confounded two of my conditions. I mean, it was like literally I could not tell which, you know, I oh, couldn't yeah. conclude anything from my data. And that can happen to the best of people. So, yeah. so what you don't want is for them to come back and say, we tried it, it didn't work. And what you realize is, well, they, it didn't work because they did, a real, they did a field test in a really noisy grocery store and then compared it to a field test in the waiting room of a, right. you know, and it's yeah. like, you can't, yeah. all of those things that you kind of just pick up from actually doing the science, mm-hmm. they're hard to teach, you know, you don't. Government programs face the same problem, right? right? Yeah. I mean,
2: there are a lot of them where they're required to do this sort of testing and they put together really poorly designed experiments right. that don't really tell you anything in the
1: end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> it really is a problem because then, then you could potentially have people come back and say see it doesn't Mm -hmm. work and then it's it's a nuanced thing to say well we don't know yet why it doesn't work because you ran it kind of in a crappy fashion right (laughs) Yeah. yeah but i find that people are you know some people are already suspicious of behavioral science and so they're looking for any reason to say well we tried b like they might literally think we tried b and it doesn't work and you're like wait you tried all <laughs> of these, yeah. and it didn't work. That, what does that even mean? So that's why I think it's important to get back to like just the fundamentals of like of what it means to have a control condition and right. what it means. Yeah, and yeah. I think Jackie and I we were talking earlier. I was, I was saying about how one of the things that I couldn't fathom was we would say, imagine you're, you know, imagine you're meeting with a, a brand new client, and and you're telling them, hey, you know, I really think that uh, because you sell insurance. Maybe we can have a manipulation where we get people, we up their risk aversion. So let's do a a letter that has risk aversion in it. And they say, cool, yeah. And then you say, and then we'll have like a control letter. Maybe we can use the letter that you always use. And they say, but why don't you think that the, didn't you just tell me the other letter is going to work better? But yeah, well, we don't know. But they say, wait, but why would you include a condition where you yourself are predicting it will work worse? Like... And well, you know, you're like, well, because the, the point is we don't know yet. And that gets to the heart of one of the biggest challenges, which is you could have a, hu- a huge, quote unquote, I'm doing scare quotes. Um, uh, you can have a huge literature on, say, a particular heuristic. And you look at that work and it shows reliably, no matter what paper is published, it shows right. that uh, that this manipulation changes judgment. When you look at the conditions and the kinds of judgments, often it's like super duper similar. Uh, Everybody used the same dependent variable. Everybody did it in a really, really similar fashion. And the truth is, we often have no idea whether a message that was shown to work in 12 published studies will work the same if you're talking to a credit card company or an insurance company or a company that's trying to sell you health food. We don't know. The customers are different the kinds of messages that are work, that will work are going to be different. And so there's a, it's a real difference between trying to go to the lab and slice into the thinnest possible basic principles versus going into the real world and trying to apply those principles because yeah it doesn't it doesn't mean it's not a principle if it didn't work with the health food customers. It just might mean there's 10 million other things that are working with the health food customers that aren't Working with the insurance customers or whatever, it, yeah. you're not even sure you're going to get their attention right. the way exactly. you would in, in a lab, in right? Letters. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, this is no. So, so it's a
0: it's a challenge. Right? Yeah. Do you find there are certain industries that are more open to more experimentation? I haven't, you
1: know, I I haven't personally seen a pattern. Mm-hmm. I. I should say you know nowadays I do sort of a few hours a week I'm not in the trenches the way that my colleagues at B works are so they might be picking up on patterns I see more a difference in the culture of the company mm-hmm. when you come in and some people really seem to get it already these tend to, again this is not scientific these tend to be smaller companies with with people who are easily able to adapt Right. Their infrastructure isn't completely set in stone. They don't have to clear it through three levels of management and legal. They can just go home and do do it. But that said, there are some companies that have really taken to it and, and are working hard to change their own culture. One of the things I never thought we would be in the business of doing, but we're finding ourselves in the business of doing is how do you now now take us as the people who are experimenting on ourselves like ourselves, how do how do you do something like change the culture of a corporate environment? Yeah. What does that even mean, right? Yeah. yeah. Because you can have like the CEO jumping up and down on stage about how great science is, but a whole layer of middle management that's so averse to something new that they're never going to do it, right? Right. Um, And
0: even because their incentives may be different. because Yeah, because their paycheck isn't going to go up. Right. If you you do a study. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they just need to get... (laughs) A, B, and C, done, and then they get paid. So, I yeah. think, Jackie, this
1: is why focus groups exist. <laughs> because with a focus group, and you know, I apologize to all the people who might be listening who do focus groups for a living, but it really is the case that you can pull out quotes that will prove, quote unquote, um, what you your idea was, or you can say, you know, I think that our product is going to be best suited for 40-something young fathers, and then you bring a focus group in and you pull a couple of quotes from a 40-something young father. Yeah, see, it worked and that flexibility to always fall back on, to always be able to, to show that you didn't fail is really antithetical to science because science failure is informative and comes with the territory. And so it's hard to convince people that you might spend $10,000 running a field study and actually show that there was no real difference between conditions.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I think that makes a lot of sense. It's not going to be conducive to every business decision you can make, but it, right. but where it is possible and feasible, it seems like you would want that information,
1: right? I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one of the things that we can emphasize is at least... You know, maybe you're not ready to run a full-on randomized control trial on 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 most of your customers or on a new product or something. But what one of the things that I I think is important to emphasize is get ready to do it. So suppose that in a year you want to test whether or not this campaign was more effective, or if this way to present your product is more effective, start collecting the data now that you might want. So start figuring out what does it mean to have a successful campaign? What would be the measures? So say you have, which often happens, we want to increase customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you mean by loyalty? Do you mean, so suppose it's a hotel chain and they want their customers to be more, more loyal, to press them on, okay, do you mean that they should day have more visits per year than the year before is that more loyal or do you mean that they should whenever they're in a city and which one of your hotels is that they would pick your hotel over the other one there are so many ways to actually start coming up with the right metric to determine success that that is as a first step is i think always good because they can they can start measuring it mm-hmm. at fairly low cost, and then when they're ready to run a real experiment, then they'll know what they want to measure, and they can even compare it to sort of the data they have from from before. So just just even getting them to be a bit more rigorous about their concepts, mm-hmm. because I don't know how many times you hear what is like loyalty or brand, okay. like,
2: like buzzwords. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I hate to say it. I <laughs> learn
1: a lot about those buzzwords. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so do you find your clients being, with they coming to you and they being more rigorous about their data collection and kind of making those changes in their culture? I
1: think that sometimes maybe what happens is if you can get the right people in the, in the organization to be sort of champions of this approach yeah. and get them excited, then they can work from within to convince everybody. And just getting a, an important person excited, and sometimes it's the IT person, okay. right? And yep. and you you think like, well, they have access to data, and they're you know maybe they're kind of nerdy about science, and so maybe just convincing them will get will get them to start organizing their data and collecting their data in the right way um, for the future. And so if you can get that person excited. Um, and maybe they'll even run a team and devote some resources. Then they start coming and yeah. sort of more eager. So we've had clients that really seem to like have just taken it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And we had some clients that it's just like, oh, well, I guess as long as they keep paying, we'll keep meeting with them. But yeah. nothing, <laughs> is <getting done. laughs> nothing is getting done. And the most frustrating part is that in some places they say that, like they're constantly championing science. Yeah, we really want. You know, and they'll say, like, we really love this big data and be behavioral economics. They kind of use them interchangeably in, mm-hmm. a, in a way that's not very accurate. You know, they'll give it lip service, but they'll never actually run an experiment. So they, they're almost like posturing for. Yeah. Uh, OK, they're like, no, I, I mean, not. Uh, I guess just, nobody knows who I'm talking about, but but you'll have like somebody like the CEO who is essentially giving li- little TED talks about how important science is to his to his company. But they're never actually th- there's never real experiments getting done. Because it entails a lot, you know, as we know, it takes a lot of work to, to get the experiments actually done.
0: And I'm curious, so you're working with you know, both profit, profit companies and for profit and non
1: profit. Yeah. Do
0: you see a difference between the two and, and just their incentive structures and you
1: know, To work? be honest, we like I the work with uh, yeah, I feel like I don't have enough experience right. with a non- non-for-profit. We've been trying to increase that, but I'll say this: humans are humans, and the surprising there's a surprising <laughs> amount of bureaucracy, no matter where,
0: yeah.
1: no matter where you are. Uh, the biggest difference is the budget.
2: Budget,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, whether there is one, yeah, that there <laughs> even is even one. Yeah. Is one. Yeah. there's
0: not as, tra- you yeah, you know, know, as m- many transactions or that Maybe, you're actually you're right.
1: recording. A lot of times, as you guys probably know very well, like if you're working with a, a government institution or something like that, they're already collecting data. I mean, they have scientists mm-hmm. on staff. They're they're granting mm-hmm. agencies that have, you know, they want, like if it's a health campaign, you have scientists there who are there to do just that. So sometimes it's easy because you can just, they already know what an experiment is. And so you can, you know, it's like a blood campaign. Mm-hmm. You can go in and work with, with them. And in there, it's kind of fun because you just throw out ideas that they maybe haven't thought of. And then they have like a the infrastructure set in, in place. Sometimes it is incredibly ridiculously hard to get. Say you're working with a country that has something like an internal revenue service. <laughs> Getting that level of government to do an experiment is like forget it. I mean, what are you going to do? Like maybe in a small country. (laughs) But but I think that anything like I, you know, I think Dan Ariely, you know, when he was doing his honesty work, he I think he tried to pitch to the IRS to do something like having people sign um, at the beginning that they're not that that their paper is but they they wouldn't do it. it. I mean, you can show them all the numbers you want. I think, you know, (laughs) they're probably going to be like, "Ah, our lawyer said it should be at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah. so i'm curious and i think a lot of students here at cornell or other people studying behavioral economics are interested to know where is the business going of behavioral economics consulting are organizations going to to grow are they going to kind of stay where they're at or may will they be absorbed by the larger companies who desire their own units yeah
1: I, d- I don't I mean it's so early mm-hmm. uh, there's literally so it's so up in the air I think what what the future will be like one possibility is that behavioral economics or just behavioral science consulting will stick around but as a branch of larger consulting right. groups so they'll hire PhDs to, to do that I think it's still considered pretty niche Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether I I don't know what will take for for it to grow because it is I think people don't quite know that that's what they want, right? They might just go to a traditional consulting firm and think they can get some behavioral economics. So maybe that's just where the market's going to going to go. Mm-hmm. Um I think in the public policy and the nonprofit sector it has for the reasons that I mentioned before, it has a lot better shot of becoming its own thing. Mm-hmm. The truth is like we're at the, we're at the time where we're trying to prove that we are worth the money is what we do going to, will the market be happy with the results that we get? And because we're using the scientific method, there ought to be no ambiguity as to mm-hmm. whether there are results. We're not an ad agency where they can sort of gleefully say, like, we, we know that half of our ads work. We just don't know which half. <laughs> like, we need to know which half, right? <laughs> it is in the whole the whole point of science is to know which of the conditions actually work. So if we adhere to those standards of rigor, maybe it will be that turns it turns out that it's such a comp, like, human behavior is so complex mm-hmm. that it's hard to find the principles that we can apply across all of these different kinds of industries. And maybe maybe it won't be worth it for companies to pay us to do all these experiments. My hope is that it will and that it will be easier and easier because it will be easier and easier to collect data and to run experiments. And because of that, it will just sort of seep into the... I think in my ideal future, it would be companies go to a behavioral economics consulting group to get up and running. Right. And then... And then they learn, and then they hire PhDs. Yeah. So, so I think that that might be the best shot we have where PhDs who want to go into industry, much like statistics, you know, it used to be that if you were in social, I think still is probably if you're a social psychologist, you get trained enough statistics that you could go work doing data analysis. Hopefully we get it so that PhDs in whatever behavioral economics (laughs) is, (laughs) or master students so whatever program is giving the the degrees will actually be able to go and live in, in companies or in consulting firms and not have to find one behavioral economics consulting for
0: right. Do you yeah. use any of the behavioral economics principles to pitch or to market how uh, VE really works? Or it's a, it's a funny, how does that work? <laughs>
1: it's a funny sort of blind spot where i remember early on when we were talking about you know i i'm not a co-founder so i wasn't involved in figuring out how to price things or mm-hmm. how to package our services but that is something that's really you really have to consider how much do you charge a company to run one experiment to experiments to the you know it's <laughs> it was unclear and i remember thinking to myself that we had a blind spot about using be for our own To to sell our own services. Part of it was early on, you just need the money to get going, to get up and running. But I think we're much better at practicing what we preach nowadays. So we actually do a pretty quantitative job at hiring. So whenever somebody applies, they submit their materials, and we ask them to actually mock up a presentation of a scientific paper, and people across the firm go and review it and give quantitative ratings, and then we actually stack them up next to each other, and we crunch the numbers and see who gave the better presentation. It's not right. I'm sure this CEO has final say, <laughs> um, but uh, but she's the one who's been most adamant about using our own principles. But sometimes it really, you know, it's really like... I. Should we run an experiment to figure out what the best way to pitch experiments is? Hey. <laughs> you know? And then we find ourselves in like, and it gives me a little bit more empathy for our clients because I'm like, well, I don't want to miss, out. I don't want to lose out. If we, <laughs> if we you know, <laughs> right. Which companies are going to select for the bad pitch? Right? Right. <laughs> exactly. What do you think the control condition that you're predicting will be worse? Why don't you just? Get, why don't we? Do <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, we, we should have like a. Comic Sans font versus Times New Roman. In our, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to put anyone in the Comic Sans. Can I ask
0: yeah. you? Uh, yeah, please. Uh, So
1: as somebody who is ob- observing sort of the... You ha- you've probably paid more attention to the landscape of this. Where do you... D- do you think there's a future for standalone BE consulting? Or do you... Maybe one mm-hmm. way to ask the question is, what do you think... Y- of your own career 20 years from now, looking back, what do you think, where do you think it will have gone?
0: So right now it seems like BE Consulting is kind of plateauing. There's not, there's some hiring, but I think it's more so in the nonprofit. Like you mentioned, that's where a lot of the jobs are being pitched. And then some companies such as Unilever Mm -hmm. are absorbing and hiring their own, but it's very small behavioral economics units. And there seems to be Other consumer behavior consulting firms, such as consumer neuroscience firms, that are kind of popping up. But in twenty years, I think right now it's more of a hype. In that, once if we can really pitch behavioral economics and hold on to clients and let you know engage them in the scientific method and understand the value, I think that's where it becomes really critical and for keeping not only. Behavioral economics consulting as a business separate from management consulting and other and other right. groups and in, in its own unit enough to run and be specialized so that it, it may be make more economic sense to go to somebody outside. So I think if that can be maintained, if they can continue to do that, I think it'd be very valuable for nonprofit organizations, valuable for government where we were talking about earlier. Yeah. The testing is you know falling short, and even for businesses. So I think it's this is a critical time, and that's why I'm very eager. To to, to be working at one of these it, right. firms. It seems
2: sort of like it, if you mm-hmm. have scale, if you're a large mm-hmm. enough firm, you'd want to integrate this right. in right. your own business. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have scale you may not have the, the money to,
1: right, right. <laughs> to I mean, hire and It's very different. Program, I mean, right? I know people who do, who do sort of market market research who mm-hmm. can be just sort of a one-person operation, but it's hard to, to think of that person actually running field experiments right. and yeah. having a living as just a single consultant. One of the, the big problems, and David, I, I don't know. How feel about it. One of the big problems is bad science. Mm-hmm. So there's so many people peddling junk science yep. to industry that one of my fears is we, that we won't be distinguished from the crap. Mm-hmm. Sorry, can I say that on your pocket? <laughs> um, and, <I> <laughs> yeah, and, and you get one for a uh, half hour. And there is to me some like, for instance, neuroeconomic stuff that's mm-hmm. just garbage. Yeah. And But what do you go in there and tell them like, I'm going to teach you what, how to tell the difference between the garbage science and the good science? Yeah, yeah.
0: Or just I think it's conveying that they can trust you to yeah. help them understand, you know, what is good and what, you know, what is garbage, you know, what they're overpaying for and just be a trusted scientist and yeah. having the reputation when you go right. in there. I think that's a, a huge part of hiring PhDs is they have the, the training. And a lot of these companies such as BE Works were started by very famous behavioral scientists. So I think that, you get a lot of good reputation from that, but one thing I did learn here taking um, consumer neuroscience with Jeff Fisher was mm-hmm. that there it, it is up and coming as consumer neuroscience consulting, but there is a lot of
1: yeah. crap out right. there, a lot of
0: garbage, a lot of. <laughs> <There's> a lot <laughs> you of have in to social be psychology
1: too, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's more expensive garbage in neuro. And I think, yeah, <laughs> that's <exactly>. right. <laughs> prettier, prettier grass, <laughs> beautiful pictures, <laughs> <laughs>
0: bigger technology. But yeah, I think it's important, and that's something that I like to um, convey is that understanding of, of the scientific method and understanding of testing and psychology and neuroscience and, and understand what is valid and what, you know, what it's telling us is and how much weight to give those results.
1: Right. I will say, I wanted to say, like, there, I think there's tremendous opportunity for science. So mm-hmm. not just that for industry to adopt science, but for science to do studies with industry, because I think it will provide us valuable information. Now we'll be able to accumulate data about some of these effects that have been demonstrated in the laboratory or in limited sort of samples. And if we collect enough data across sort of various various companies and different kinds of consumers, different kinds of products, mm-hmm. then maybe it will actually allow us as a science to become more robust. But in order to do that, we're going to have to come up with one, one of the challenges is to come up with a way of sharing data in what is fundamentally a, a, you know, a, um, a private yeah right it's a yeah <laughs> it, that's a that's a huge task so we're, we're trying to work on ways in which to solve this problem so if there are clients that will allow us to to report the data if it's been anonymized sufficiently for mm-hmm. instance so you know publishing or making available data in all of the ways that science itself, Behavioral science is struggling to be more open mm-hmm. and therefore more rigorous. I think the opportunity could be there for us to 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 use industry as a way to to help us show that we are more rigorous. There's nothing like showing a client, not error bars and P levels and you know <laughs> but actually showing money that's saved if they ran this versus doing this like that is the big it's big (laughs) it's it can be very very good for our science if we keep it up and do it right but it's not at all clear that we're going to get there it takes some work indefinitely
0: And with that, I think it gives us a lot of things to think about. Is there any other thoughts or things to think about that you would like to leave with the, our listeners, David?
1: I think pretty much we've said so w- what we need to say about this, but I do <laughs> want to encourage people like that I, I think that across the board, communicating the scientific way of understanding the world is powerful enough that it, it can be used across the board. And so I'm excited if young kids who are doing science and learn about science can see opportunities in industry. industry. And I hope that... that 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 trend continues and we just become a, a culture in general that's more willing to base their decisions on on scientific grounding.
0: Wonderful. Thank right. you so much, David. Thank you for joining us, too. Thank you guys
1: for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: We hope you all have a great day. Our show is produced by Liam Wicks Doe. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Hat Economics, And um, you can also shoot us an email at MadHatEcon at com. And be sure to check out David Pizarro's podcast, Very Bad Wizards. We hope you all have a good one. See you next time.